guys. All right. Well, I'm ten minutes late. But you guys were singing and praying and praising God and, and fellowshipping and or eating chocolate cake. <laughs> Where is that guy at? What is he doing? He's skipping out tonight. Well, anyway, thank you for coming out. And uh, I was out at the place where the Bible study originally started. And I was trying to wonder, how did we ever fit into that? You ever notice when you take things out of a house that it seems to get smaller? It just looked really small. But anyway, <laughs> a lot of memories there. A lot of memories here. We've been here a year. And uh, hopefully we're growing out of it already. Uh, we're trying to uh, uh, actually try to make space for the, the little guys because that seems to be where the, the growth is and we'll invest into that generation. You know, Hopefully that, uh, that can multiply and try to figure out how we can uh, do it with rooms and at the same time keep it in a situation where, of course, you guys can hear and, and don't get interrupted and such. So we're, we're working that out. When you have ideas, well, great. Bring them forth. You will be volunteered to do something. <laughs> but anyway, uh, boy, we get ready to move into chapter 4. And uh, the church, church is growing in there. Church is happening. And we see that uh, what happens whenever you uh, preach the Word of God to people uh, that have never heard it before, and you will get a couple of different responses. One of them is the fact that, uh, oh, I've got to hear more. Uh, Or people might see the need of salvation. Or I guess there's a third one, and uh, seems to be that's pretty popular too, is that people can get very angry whenever they hear the gospel. And we have that case in chapter 4 after Peter has preached in chapter 3 uh, persecution is a very intrinsic part of the uh, Christian picture. Always has been. We see right here where uh, where it really starts. A lot of tremendous truths I think we can uh, get out of this. So the apostles were quite the example. And I think also um, these persecutions were actually a blessing to uh, this apostolic church just as it has been a blessing to the church throughout the ages. <laughs> But uh, it's something that we don't look forward to, but at the same time, it uh, has been a part of God's plan. Uh, Five times in 11 years in the city of Jerusalem, there was an organized basis of persecution. And, of course, this chapter records the very first of these persecutions that we're at tonight. And uh, we know those persecutions still go on today somewhere throughout the world and even in our country 2,000 years later. During the first 300 years, there were 10 persecutions of major proportions. Uh, Of course, one of the persecutions where we see death of uh, a Christian is uh, the story of Stephen, if you remember him. And so uh, death became quite common to Christians uh, very early. And of course, the first persecutions of uh, the Empire, as far as the Romans were concerned, under Nero, uh, was around A.D. 67. It wasn't that long after the church began, was it? Uh, Nero contrived all kinds of punishments. You've probably heard of most of them. Uh, he sewed up uh, people, Christians, in the skins of wild animals, and then uh, 
turned them to the hungry dogs to let them uh, get them. Uh, he used other people, uh, kind of uh, gave them shirts of wax and attached them to trees and they could be torches at night to light up the garden. Domitian was uh, even more inventive uh, in his imprisonments. Uh, he would uh, he put the Christians on racks. Uh, he seared them. He boiled them. He burned them. He cooked them any way that uh, he could imagine. They went through all sorts of scourging and stoning and hanging. And uh, many were actual, actually lacerated with hot irons, if you can imagine. Some were... Uh, put up on the horns of wild bulls and let them just rip through them. Uh, in the fourth persecution, uh, around 162 A.D., Christians were made to walk with their wounded feet over thorns and nails, all sorts of sharp shells and objects. Uh, they were scourged until their flesh was absolutely gone. Uh, they were beheaded. And during the eighth persecution... The 300 Christians were actually placed around this lime kiln. And uh, if they would make offerings to Jupiter, they would be let go. Otherwise, they were pushed into this kiln. Uh, unanimously, all 300 of them perished in the lime. So, uh, you know, pretty uh, wild stories of what happened to the very early church. And sometimes you see persecutions that are not quite as obvious, not obvious at all to some people. And Satan persecutes today. He uh, persecutes sometimes in wild ways like uh, we just heard about. Other times he has other techniques. And uh, sometimes it's not always political. It can be personal. Or it can be religious. Uh, especially coming from liberal Christianity. Um, when you um, look at this chapter here, we, we get to see how it all starts. But it, it looks like um, Satan also likes to use pressure upon Christians um, as far as pride is concerned. Being, if, if you'd be quiet about your Christianity, you could probably have better status, uh, maybe better job, maybe a better promotion, more acceptance. And that's very effective with what uh, Satan has done there. Sometimes it doesn't have to use the the hard persecution where you die and boom, you go get to be with the Lord. It's just uh, little things like that. So a lot of different methods and techniques that uh, the enemy has used all throughout. And uh, in the early church, they actually kind of got a martyr complex. Uh, they almost like took pride. It was a normal thing for Christians to uh, to die, and they developed develop this kind of a complex when they would put themselves into positions where they could be martyred. And that's probably not quite right either. You know, they they looked for martyrdom. Uh, you don't really have to look, you know. <laughs> but uh, people can go to extremes. But uh, sometimes, you know, Satan has slaughtered Christians and. Uh, he's wiped out Christians, and then other times he can be very effective where he makes the church complacent, fat, rich, socially oriented, and accepted like the times that we live in now. And so he can he can use all of those things. He can water down what the, the church is to be about. And uh, so you can see how he, he has worked in the early church at first, uh, it looked so great to everybody. They were drawn because of their love. 
but very quickly as people saw what it was really about as they were drawn see there are people that are drawn to us because of our love for each other as Jesus said but when they really look and see what the gospel really is when it's really preached uh, when it's taught then some people it turns out to be a negative thing and it's not what they thought they like the idea of the, the loving atmosphere you know that's supposed to draw them but it turns to be a negative thing so that was a that's a real positive for Satan, uh, you know, in in, in those ways. Um, anyway, gears were definitely shifting mighty fast in these early days. We've seen what chapter three was about. The lame man is healed. They're at the uh, the courtyard there at the uh, the temple and sort of Solomon's portico. Peter started preaching and he indicted Israel and he charged them of uh, the murder of the Messiah. And he preached Christ. He preached Messiah. The beauty of Christ. And so all those elements are in there. Repentance. um, Conversion. Repent and be converted, I think, is uh, what uh, he said in verse 19. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance is what we dealt with last week. And, of course, that uh, can either draw people uh, and they can realize that there is hope or other people do not like that message of repentance. And in this case, who we look at today in chapter 4, they don't like this message. They don't like the message about Christ. They don't like the message about the resurrection. They don't like the uh, the teachers, what they're teaching. <laughs> so um, this is where the fun always uh, is at whenever it revolves around the, the Word of God. And so as we get ready to uh, move into that chapter in the first verse, uh, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank You. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for this uh, wonderful book of Acts that gives us true history of the body of Christ and uh, the preaching of Christ crucified. And Lord, we look at that, we look at it historically, and we look at it biblically, and we marvel how the Holy Spirit worked in in that time. And the Word of God being preached, miracles were done to uh, show the people that this was real, to authenticate it, and uh, the apostles were teaching exactly what uh, you had told them. And Lord, may we ever be encouraged, and may we ever desire to continue that message that they preached and we know that sometimes it's not uh, very favorable and we know that uh, the truth can make people very angry at actually you Lord ultimately we know that persecution uh, might be happening to individuals uh, the body of Christ the whole church but uh, really they persecute you because of your name and may we um, learn a little bit further who you are and what you have for us and uh, that we would be just amazed at you and your message, Lord, that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, they're arrested. That's what what happens. That doesn't sound too uh, far away from uh, from what uh, happens throughout uh, the rest of Acts here and many other places uh, in the epistles where we have... Paul 
uh, on display many times in prison, in jail. And this is the first time. It says in the first verse, as they were speaking to the people, preaching that word of God, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed. Take note of that. (laughs) Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Made them terribly, greatly disturbed. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. All right. They're defending His name. The apostles here are defending the name of Christ, talking about His name. They're arrested. You have priests there. Imagine that. And they're in on this. Um, Priests are to represent God. And the message of God is being proclaimed and they hate it. That kind of tells you how far the priesthood had gone. At one time it had been 24 courses. Uh, You would have a revolving um, priesthood. People would get a turn, men would get a turn if they were in that uh, Levitical tribe, get their opportunity. And uh, this particular uh, group of men who were the priests at this time, they had their turn. Uh, this week for them came. It's a big deal, and here they find themselves in this commotion going on. <laughs> and uh, it's in the middle of the week, particular priest, uh, all this hubbub happening. And uh, you get the Sadducees uh, mentioned here, captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. And of course, you probably notice that uh, they're definitely in on this uh, political group. Uh, it's a religious group, but very political. Uh, they combine really the the Sadducees do really the, the worst of both of the the persecution. They're, you have religious liberals and and the political liberals. That's really what they were. Uh, and then of course you have the high priestly family. The high priest, whether it be Caiaphas, uh, Annas, they are really Sadducees. They're all part of that. They're the opposition party. Uh, they are not uh, the conservatives uh, by far. The opposition to them was the Pharisees, and of course we know that they dominate the Gospels and the Book of Acts. But it's interesting, you know, both of these groups are wealthy, they're very wealthy, uh, and of course they wanted to scratch Rome's back in the political realm. So they got along with them, did what they wanted, and of course Rome kind of uh, returned the favor. Uh, what was one of the things that the Sadducees did not believe in? The resurrection. And uh, it doesn't take much in the reading of this why they are so greatly disturbed. Um, There's no future reward. There's really no future punishment. This is it. This life, this is what it's about as far as they're concerned. So... uh, that's kind of a typical liberal line, at least in the sense that there's no really future punishment. And they didn't believe in the existence of angels and spirits. All that spirit world was a myth. It didn't happen at all. Um, they're the VIPs of Jerusalem. These are the big guys, and they're coming after Peter and John. And uh, it says that they were greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people uh, resurrection of the dead... The idea here is uh, some of your versions might have they were very grieved that this was happening. 
It means... What's that? Greatly annoyed. Greatly annoyed. That's a pretty good way to put it. <coughs> Greatly. Uh, literally, it means thoroughly pained. Anguish. Terrible mental anguish over this. Uh, they've gone through this with the... the Well, Jesus. <laughs> and they thought they got rid of Him. But He's living on in, in the preaching. Uh, so, yeah, I think King James, it was the word grieve might be there if you have that. Uh, sorry. So sorry. So anguished mentally. It's based on indignation. It's based on wrath. Uh, you can't get any madder than this. That's where they're at. Uh, so upset. And these guys, for one thing, they're teaching and they're not approved to teach. What school are they from? These guys are from Galilee. They have no right to be up there doing that. And they're preaching Jesus. They don't really have um, any right to talk about Him. And the resurrection of all things. That's the thing that's... You can imagine how the hate is prevailing here at this, at this point in time. This is what happened to our brothers in the Lord, these apostles, uh, as they knew that the Sadducees were there. And they knew what they did not want to believe, and they were hard against the the resurrection. And that's exactly what uh, is being proclaimed here. And it's like he's he's alive. Jesus is alive right now. Yes. I'm just curious about this. Do you know if there's any record of any of the Sadducee um, high priestly lines that ever converted? To, you know, like any individual that ever converted to Phariseeism, as it as it were. To, to Phariseeism, yeah. like converted over. Right. Um, you know, I don't know if there's anything in historical writings or, or not. I was just um, they, they just kind of stayed with their own family and that was it, you know. Probably so. You can imagine there there could be one or two. I mean, that happens, you know, today and people kind of cross over into, you know, even a political line and such, you know, that could be. But that would be interesting to, to know, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, we do know that priest... Um, Later on, uh, we will see that there were priests that actually convert. You know, they're convinced, and I have to wonder if maybe some of these guys right here at this time, who may he- maybe heard this message or heard the the one that we see in Acts two, uh, or just over course of time, you know, the Holy Spirit worked on them. Who knows? You know, but it, they definitely uh, some of them were coming to Christ. Uh, Annas was a high priest formerly, and we know the story on Annas. He was a, a big guy up in there, and he's considered a high priest, although it's like he's retired. Actually, the Roman government kind of pushed him a while out. He has a little bit too much power. He works behind the scenes. He runs the show. Um, and and so, you know, he's he has quite the power. Um, Caiaphas was appointed by the Romans to be the high priest. And, of course, he is you know, related to Annas. And, of course, you have sons. We have grandsons. And um, uh, so all of this happening here with the Sadducees and these high priests, uh, verse 3, I think, kind of strikes at you. They laid hands on them. That's not the spiritual laying hands on like, uh, like you see in Timothy. <laughs> they are, um, they're arresting them. And uh, they put them in jail. And it's probably uh, maybe late. It could be close to 6 o'clock or something. Not too much they can do right now. Uh, they're there till the next day. It's already evening. So they put them in there for the night. But you'll notice that uh, 
Many of those who heard the message believed. I like that. Um, verse 5 through 7. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. Caiaphas, that's the one who presently is the high priest, of course, at the time of Christ, same thing. And John and Alexander, we don't know who that is. Possibly could be sons or related to them that nobody really knows for sure. And all who were of high priestly descent. Now these guys, high priest from that era, they're Sadducees. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire. Let's stop there. 5 through 7. When they placed them in the center, they began to inquire. Okay, Annas, Caiaphas, scribes, rulers, elders, these are the elite of the elite. Right? And you have Peter and John. They're standing here in a... It's like a semicircle of of the 70. Sanhedrin. Like the, they're in the Supreme Court, in, the, in a sense here, and the president is behind them. <laughs> I mean, these, this is it. This is so exciting. This sounds so negative. Oh, look what's happened! This is a terrible thing. Look what God has just done. He's put them in a position that they could never have had before, where you have all of the Supreme Court and the leaders right there, and they're put in the midst to guess what to be able to share the gospel again and write to these guys. You know, you can either look at the glass as being half empty or half full, right? <laughs> yeah. What an opportunity. I think we now that you're so cynical that things are going to work out. The odds are, you know. I mean, that's how we feel now. But I think they were so fresh from what had occurred for them and seeing the, the freshness of the you know the church being born. Oh, certainly. And and they're they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We'll, we'll see that in a moment here. Seeing, you know, what he's already done, the miracles of anybody to understand the truth for the first time. So they're very zealous. With, uh, with, they have a lot better outlook than, I think, than what we do nowadays. Right. I think they saw the design of God here. Mm-hmm. They're submitting all, all the way. You know, you, you, you submit... They're submitting to God. They're submitting here to these guys as much as they can. They're, they're um, at the same time. If you, they're asked questions, and they just answer them. I mean, it couldn't be a better situation. You would think that oh, this this could be the end of the church, guys. This is it. This is it. It's a fantastic thing. God allows them to carry their testimony to the elite rulers of the nation, and they're obeying God. And they're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, but God has a design, and uh, He has designed everything through here. And you'd think, well, why doesn't He do it without persecution? Well, um, He uses persecution. And of course, we know about uh, the uh, martyrs are really—they they were the seeds of, of the church, weren't they? So they ask a question. Move on. Right in the middle of them all. They began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? 
And by the way, in the Greek tense, it means they kept on asking them. By what power? By what power? How are you doing this? What, what magic are you using? You know? How do you, you know, they know what just happened with that lame man. Everybody knows that. Nobody's denying this at all. <laughs> it's just too obvious. It's been in front of everybody. And they're saying, what's, what magic? Where, where are you getting your power? What's going on here? Uh, whose authority? Who, who gave you the power to do this? Uh, you're representing somebody. So they ask a straight, simple, forward question. And I uh, almost have to wonder if they're kind of in contempt in that question. It's kind of like, what, what magic are you using? What, you know, where's this power coming from? What kind of power is this? Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, this, of course, if they had thought about it, uh, they might have seen Jesus do the same thing. That uh, whose name, what name have you done this? What a great stepping point here. You know, they go right off into this. And name is dealing with authority. Uh, the authority to be able to do, like to heal the people and to teach the way that they did. So we go to the next section here. Actually, it's, it's the case presented by Peter. Then Peter. Got to like this next phrase. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He's empowered. The Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, great respect here. He doesn't start calling them names or anything. But boy, does he hit it really quick. If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, a guy who was absolutely uh, lame, as to how this man has been made well, if we're on trial for this, <laughs> let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, He's just answering what they asked. <laughs> by the name, the, the authority of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified. Does that sound familiar? Acts 2 whom they crucify. All at the same time, God the Father had that plan. Acts 2 explains that. God did it, but man did it. Man is responsible. God has it in His plan. Whom God raised from the dead. And there's the resurrection story. So He uh, says Jesus Christ, and He makes sure that they know who that is. That's Yeshua Hamashiach, one from Nazarene. Okay, uh, there might be a lot of Yahashua's running around, Yeshua's running around. This is the one who is the Messiah, the one who is from Nazareth. He grew up there, whom you crucified. It makes it very particular. By this name, by this authority, this man stands here before you in good health. It was the authority of Christ it was in his name that this man stands here. He was right in there between those two guys, Peter and John. You know, the, the living witness of what had happened to him. In good health. Uh, good health, it's related to salvation there, but there's the physical sense there. He's, he's standing here. But I, I definitely think that there's a spiritual sense that goes on there too. Uh, 
God chose that particular man to work through and to use this whole incident. What an opportunity. Um, it really gets to explain how the miracle occurred. Um, and it says that, you know, I have to think, as Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, that's an errorist passive, which means it's indicating he already was filled with the Spirit. He's doing what he's doing now because he's filled with the Spirit. It just didn't come upon him just at that one time. He has been that way. And we are commanded constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5. That's the same tense there too. It's just saying always, constantly keep being filled with the Spirit. And so that's that's what the idea here as uh, he was filled with the with the Spirit. Constant thing. What an opportunity. And um, uh, this is this message that he gets to give these guys here and is really um it brings forth the characteristics of who Christ is, the indictment of the Israelites because of their rejection, the presentation of Jesus. And of course, we, we know the sermon that was, that was preached. And of course, after that, they probably uh, people were asking questions and maybe they had dialogues going on. Maybe he was still preaching and teaching. We only have so many words here. But you know he, had, he already used Old Testament text to prove that he was the Messiah and the one who would die and then come back to life. Well, he's going to use another Old Testament passage in front of these uh, leaders of Israel. Uh, so, you know, he, he continues the same thing, an indictment and then, of course, who Christ is and uh, just lays it out there. He proclaims the living Christ whom they killed. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. How many times have we seen this passage? Well, if you remember in Peter, we ran across that already in First Peter chapter 2. And he's using an Old Testament. It's out of Psalm 118.22. And Matthew 21.42. The image of the stone is found all throughout the Old Testament. And the stone is God. Um, go to Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. This is found in the uh, Song of Moses. Deuteronomy 32, 4. Going all the way back to the law. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. That verse right there is enough praise for the night, isn't it? He's called the rock. Everything that He does is perfect. He's just. He's faithful. He's righteous. Upright. Those are some big words about God. He's called the rock there. The rock. Solid rock. We have a lot of songs called you know, dealing with rock, don't we? The rock. Uh, verse 15. Staying in the same chapter. Just ring grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. The rock. 
Rock of Salvation. Rock of Ages. What for me? Uh huh. <laughs> Verse 18. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. And the rock here is not that famous actor that's in all the movies. <laughs> Thirty-one. Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. There we go. Even our enemies themselves judge this. So, that's just in Deuteronomy. Several places. In the Psalms, Samuel, Isaiah, Daniel. He's the rock that will overtake all the other kingdoms and His kingdom will never be broken. He'll be the rock come in and just break them all down. Come to that conclusion. Well, there is the stumbling of that rock. And he says, He is the stone. He is the rock which was rejected. It was told in the Old Testament in Psalm 118.22. Do you think those some of those leaders knew about this one? Now, of course, the, I think the Sadducees only believed in the Pentateuch. Uh, there are more than just Sadducees there. There are definitely Pharisees and, and others. Um, leaders and people of the law uh, also would would have known. Um, regardless, uh, this is something that would have been known. Uh, he said this is what's going to happen in the Old Testament time period. It already happened. And he said that stone was here. He is rejected. The builders rejected that stone. The chief cornerstone. You put that stone into the best place of the of that foundation. That is the keystone where everything else was going to be based off of. And, um, you know, of course, a lot of times somebody would bring the stone to bring it up there, and if it wasn't exact, wasn't exactly what that builder wanted, they would throw it out and say, no, we got to, they, they would test it, make sure that it was the right one. Uh, well, they tested him, and they came to the conclusion that this is not the right one. This is not the... The, the Messiah. He this is not the cornerstone. Right. They wanted it in their own way. So he's saying, this was told before. You are the guys who rejected that. Now, Peter's saying this in front of guys who are very hostile right now. In front of a whole Supreme Court. What just happened not too long ago in this city? <laughs> Preaching about the same guy that they crucified. And I'm sure that Peter probably had the thought, this could happen to him. It did. But later on. He was crucified too, wasn't he? Um, look in Romans chapter 9, verse 32. Oh, that's the sovereign chapter, isn't it? Mm. Right at the end of 9. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. That's what Paul writes. Just as is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. But uh, most stumbled. That would be uh, most of the Jewish nation there. And uh, they did not pursue by faith. Romans 9 talks about the rejection and God's justice. So, 
Um, a lot, a lot about that in, in 1 Corinthians, your next book over, just a few pages actually. Uh, 123. If you have a study Bible, it's probably more than just a few pages. But we preach Christ crucified. Remember this? This is Paul, Corinth. Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, a stumbling stone. And the Gentiles, it's just foolishness. They stumbled over that. Couldn't get it. It's not our cornerstone, they're saying. The head of the corner. That's what he's quoting. I don't think he could have quoted a better passage. Matter of fact, I know there was not a better passage at that time because he was inspired by the God's Holy Spirit to put that in. That's right. Didn't Jesus say something like that? I'll bring things to remembrance to you. These are some of those things. And he is quoting major, major portions of uh, messianic prophecies as he is bringing forth the truth. What better can uh, be done with the gospel than uh, what's being done here? Uh, Jesus is not only the stone, but he's also the Savior. And of course, Peter gets that in too. Because right after he talks about the chief cornerstone, he says, you rejected. But he also says this, and there is salvation even to the rejecters. And this, the beauty of the gospel, it can be so condemning, and it should be because of the law and bringing forth damnation and condemnation, but yet in the same message And in the very next verse, we have this. There is salvation in no one else. Here's your hope. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which he must be saved. And that's the exclusivity of Christianity. That is why Christians will have a hard time in this pluralistic society that we live in you are considered to be quite um, different from the world and even intolerant intolerant is a good word for it. That's probably the word I was looking for there. And it's something though uh, Muhammad was in some ways even more intolerant and yet they don't get their back up about him because... He claimed to lay claim on their lives, and yet in reality, there's no spiritual reality to it. And there is spiritual reality to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of heaven and earth, laying claim to their lives, and they and they say, "We will not have this man reign over us." Sorry, that's just. Oh, so we're here for. I mean, I mean, you know, why is it that they're not angry at the at the uh, Muslims? You know, why is it they're not angry at the Jews? Political correctness has taken over. And it is now popular as far as the Muslims are concerned if a Christian or anybody said something like, "Uh, I don't feel too comfortable sometimes around Muslims and their teaching. If that word got around with what's going on in the NBA world now, and I'm not going to even get into that, you know, and I know there's a lot of things there that wasn't right, but I can tell you. That if you don't, if you say something that is not politically correct, the thought police are are going to arrest you, 
And, and even with the Michael Sam story now, with him kissing his boyfriend, um, and then somebody in the NV, or in the NFL uh, from a Miami team said something like OMG, and uh, another word is like this, almost like a you know a sickening. And uh, he has now been kicked off the team for even saying that. And I, you know, oh, if a Muslim said that, it'd probably be perfectly okay. Because they're politically correct now. But a Christian, and you look at the history, and that's usually what it boils down to. And, and uh, years ago, that wasn't really the case here, but, but it is now. Um, none of us are surprised at that. But it's interesting how quick that's happening. And so it, it, I think we just need to take heed. Be wise. Don't set yourself up to, to get arrested. But at the same time, we can't refrain from preaching the gospel. That's really what it's about. I don't understand why there aren't... Why there aren't uh, of course, I'm sitting here in a, my safe church with my safe church family by my wife. And so it's easy for me to say this. But I don't understand why there aren't pastors in Canada being arrested for speaking the truth uh, because there are laws against speaking the truth. One man, one pastor put some, you know, Romans in the newspaper and a little logo with an X with a slashing through two men holding hands and he was fined terribly and I can't remember if he was put in jail or not. That's the only one I heard of. Out of all the thousands of pastors in Canada, why isn't anybody... Is it because they're not saying anything because of that? Is that make, if you make an example out of that, and that's what happened with with the Hitler uh, thing? The pastors all of a sudden got really quiet and shut up. Yeah, I, I think there's probably a lesson to to learn from that. Well, you know, Satan is only an enemy of God's people. He's perfectly friendly to all the other religions. Hmm. They are no threat. They're his, aren't they? <laughs> they are no threat to him. And it is irrational. But of course the world doesn't see that it's irrational. And I came to the Lord so late that I still remember all this. And when you speak of it, I think, yes, because that applied to me. Huh. And I was so angry with Christianity and I have no idea why. One time I came out of the old Walmart and somebody had left a track underneath the windshield wiper. Uh I was furious. And I looked around to see if I could see and they were gone. I was mad all the way home. And I got home and stormed in and I thought, whoever you are, go to church. (laughs) (laughs) And after I got home, I thought, and I can still remember this, I thought, what's the matter with you? Just throw the thing away. Why are you so angry? But I was angry. Everything else interested me. But Christianity angered me. That is really interesting. And there's no reason for it. It wasn't rational. No Christian had ever done me harm. It's caused because I was controlled. And That's incredible. And everybody else could share their point of view with you. You were fine with That's that. That's right. But dare let somebody 
hand you a piece of literature of what their views were and how arrogant right. they are. Yeah, yeah. So Would that be uh, something like the 72-hour the thing they have now for abortions, a 72-hour waiting period? And people who are for abortion are really just irate and angry. Would that be the same anger that you were talking about there? It took in everything. Everything but Christianity, you know, Christians touch. But they're only trying to hurt the women. And I, was, I was listening to this last night, and I'm sitting there saying, no, they're trying to save a life. Yeah, I was, might be trying to save two lives. That child and that woman's life, the religion might be making. And nobody says they said that. That's what aggravated me more to sit there listen. It's like the people that are wanting to sit there and say, no, this is a really serious thing. We don't want it washed away really quickly and later you realize the mistake you made, you know. We want the time to sit there for somebody to realize that there's other other ways to deal with that pregnancy besides destroying another human being out of it. And maybe two human beings out of it, you know. Yeah, may, you know, the chance to sit there and think about that you're destroying a life. I was on Facebook for a little while, I don't know, for about, about a year, and uh, I went round and round with this gal. I mean, well, you know, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to leave the presence of a fool, so I eventually did, but uh, <laughs> I mean, that's just the truth. Um, she was just rabid for women's choice, mm-hmm. and I reasoned with her, and everything that came from my side was just pure reason, and she, all, all she was just, just emotion. Fury, just this fury. It's their choice. I don't care. It's their choice. It's their choice. It's, their choice. it's not their body. It's their choice. It didn't matter that it wasn't their body. It didn't matter that it was a little baby. It was their choice. She's just rabid. She could not just just enraged. Yeah. Well, they want to say it's. See, they want to treat it like <coughs> cancer. So we got to get rid of it really right. quick before it destroys the rest of our body. Is what I always sit there and hear them saying. And that's what it's not. It's not a cancer. It is a human DNA that is actually separated from your own body. Right. So it is another person. In other words, if you found that, if there was a crime scene and that human, that little tissue was found, it would be declared that that is a human being. There's DNA of a human being there. It is not a cancer cell. Yeah, so, yeah, that was but my... But rage, it was, like, it was yeah. like the rage that the Jews had when Stephen said, I see the Lord standing at the right hand. Mm-hmm. And what were they doing? It was a rage. Gnashing their teeth. Yeah. controls her. Mm-hmm. The father of life. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And oh, seems, I was just confirming that yeah, what you were describing. That it was seems that reasonable. Mm-hmm. Would you say that then that passage is going right along with what you're saying, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. We are really... It's, it's Satan's battle. We shouldn't be surprised that people are doing this thing. They are, they've been duped by him. And, um, of course, when you preach Christ being the only way, there are two passages that are very solid, that are so clear. Of course, John fourteen six, and then this one of showing that Jesus is the only way. I mean, that is narrow. He said the way is narrow. He is the narrow way. There's, there's no other way. There's no other name. And uh, I, I'm sure every one of you here have said, yeah, but there are other ways to God too. You all have experienced that with other people, I'm sure. I ran into it at the store quite frequently. Yeah. You said that we've all said it. You mean we've all heard it. We've heard it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah being said to you. Yeah, thanks. 
<laughs> you were one of those too, huh? I probably was too. <laughs> I don't know why everybody has to think that that's the only way. There's a lot of different roads to get to the same place. Mm-hmm. And it sounds more loving, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound more faithful? And you can, yeah, people can get along with you a lot easier that way. But we we don't have any choice to say that. We cannot say anything else. If if we are, we're denying our Lord. Uh, there's only one way. And I would say anybody believe that there's another way plus plus Christ is not a Christian. How can you be? I mean, that's just that's one of those narrow black and white things. <laughs> Either he's the only way or he's not. Well, we know he's the only way. The thing that I wish people would see is that regardless of whether they believe in him or not, this is the standard by which everybody's going to be judged. And that's right. If you don't get the bill, you do whether you believe it or not. Right. If you don't trust in Christ, you are doomed. You are damned. You're condemned. You know, the extreme biblical conservative area that I'm from, uh, southern Missouri, and I'm talking a few decades ago, uh, like my dad remembered two old men sitting on the porch at the store, you know, and one said, oh, I want judgment. (laughs) You know, but the the thing of it is, they were like Barb said, they believed the Bible, they believed that that was the standard. The other, and the other guy saying, I don't want judgment, I don't want mercy. Yep. And you know, but they neither one, they were they were both playing games. And then I knew an old boy, and every time you say his name is George, and, and I say, How you doing, George? And, well, nothing wrong with me till judgment. Got plenty of that, plenty of that. That's what he always said. And I did. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, the council definitely opposed the name after we get that famous verse 12. And I don't know, it's about closing time here. Uh, Let's look at their reaction. It's kind of interesting. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, I mean, they didn't back down whatsoever. What an opportunity. And understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they look down upon them, but they know that this is amazing that they're able to do what they're doing. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Well, they literally had been with Jesus. They they knew that these guys were, were part of His people. But I, I think that that's the way, of course, I think that we Christians... People need to see us as people who have been with Jesus. I mean, that's a great statement there, but um, they knew that they were associated with Him highly. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them. (laughs) Don't you like that? God's Word is very upfront in this section. I mean, you can just read it, and you don't really need somebody up here just telling you what it is. I mean, it's just there. It just comes out... Grabbing you, doesn't it? He's standing with them. They had nothing to say in reply. <laughs> what are they going to say? Yeah. What evidence? Their problem is that they're trapped. They are trapped. They they have nowhere to go. They can't even say anything. How many times did Jesus do that to them? Whenever he would. Say, whenever they had asked the question trying to trap him and then boom he'd come right 
back and trapped them where they had nowhere to go. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? They're in a quandary. For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them, the people are going to be mad if we if we do anything with them. It's apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. Everybody knows. We cannot deny it. We can't deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people. <laughs> they don't know the power of God. Let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. We're going to let them go. But they just can't ever speak about Him again. Now, can you imagine that? Oh, you'll let us go? Okay, no, we won't say it anymore. No, that, that's, that's not going to fly to the apostles. I mean, they are, they are filled with God's Spirit. And they're very bold. And uh, they're going to continue. When they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Not in His authority. Not in His power. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Okay, turns it right back over there. You be the judge about that. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't stop. It's impossible for somebody who knows Christ to not be able to say something whenever you get the opportunity. How can you not do it? We're not, we, we can't. We can't stop. We won't. And so when they had threatened them further, they said, you better, you, we don't want to hear this again. You know, and there they are. You know. They let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. There really wasn't anything they could do on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. Can you imagine the glory and honor that was given to His name at this time? For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. He had been lame for so many years. And they all knew Him. And the people are just glorifying God. I mean, the praise that was happening and uh, the praying and the dilemma that these guys have now. They threaten the apostles, but they don't have anything about it. It was obedience at any cost. They were going to obey God. We'll obey God rather than men. That doesn't mean that they're not to submit to the government, but there is this time when you can have civil disobedience. It's just like the Jewish midwives or Moses' parents, as, you know, of course, they hid him, or Daniel, whenever he was told not to be praying at that time of day, you know, facing the, what was it, uh, the, the east, right? And he kept doing that anyway, kept praying. Um, so anyway. Um, it's funny about that they knew you would do it, though. When they made that, that's why they spied on me. Yeah. Because they knew you would do Yeah. Justin Martyr. I think uh, they were burning, going to burn him at the stake. And Was he 83 years old? Something like that? 80. Are you thinking of Polycarp? Polycarp, I'm sorry. What did I say? Justin Martyr? Yeah. Polycarp. And um, he said, uh, I can't remember the years it was, 88 or something like that, 80 something, uh, that, um, you know, he had not denied the Lord, and why would I do it now? Uh, that's paraphrased. I should have the quote there, but 
Wow. It sounds like he's done nothing but good to me. Yeah. So he's been yeah. along those yeah. lines. Why would I leave so him now? And they so much wanted to get him off of that. They didn't want to burn him. And this is an old man. It's going to make them look bad. And they were just, hey, just, just say it. You know, just come on, say it. You, you know, it doesn't matter whether you mean it or not. <laughs> and you no, know, he he stood to that. And I I think that uh, he went praising God as he was being burned up. Um, you know, all those stories. But uh, I guess that's a civil disobedience. But it was all about um, being obedient to God and, and not giving up uh, that name and never being quiet when you have the opportunity. And even at that point, you know, I kept preaching the gospel. Uh, boy, that's boldness. The next section, we won't get into it tonight, but they pray for more boldness. <laughs> I guess that's when Yeah. Because he is everything that we have. Offers you nothing, you know. You have nothing, and they strip you away. Yep. Why wouldn't you? That's right. You know, I've often thought if somebody held a gun to my head and told me to profess allegiance to somebody else, you know, I wouldn't do that. I would probably the last thing out of my mouth would be Jesus is Lord. But. If somebody told me I was going to be burned to death, I mean, I know it's by no power of my own I would do it under either circumstance, but I'm not so sure I wouldn't waver knowing the slow, agonizing way I'm going to die versus quick and easy with a gunshot, you know? It's almost like that's the easy way out. Those martyrs from back then really suffered torture as they died. That's when I was first it seemed like it was a quick beheading or whatever else they did. Then it became torture. Like the enemy realized, yeah. hold it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pain and affliction. You know, the enemy yeah. loves to do that to slowly. And that's because he humanly wants to suffer long yeah. for a long time. Stuff like that. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a a story Corey Tenboom writes about in one of her books. Um, and I won't get it precise, but she mentioned to her father that she was afraid that if that happened to her, if she met that, she would not be able to. And they took, I think they took a train every once in a while, and he related to her that it's like, it's like having a ticket for the train. You don't need it. You don't need it until the time. Right. 